Hey everyone, this is Pastor Stephen. I wanted to thank you for checking out our podcast, and we hope that this message encourages you and helps you in your pursuit to live for Christ with everything you have. We hope you enjoy the message. With that being said, we're so excited that you're here with us this morning. If you're new here, I am Pastor Stephen. Um, I'm not going to go into a whole bunch outside of I have a lot of kids. And this last week, I survived extra teenagers, girls in my house somehow. So just keep praying for me on that one. But anyway, if you have your, uh, your, your, your bullets in this morning, you're going to see a, a cover on there that looks a little like this, but just slightly different. I had to go out and find a picture of shag carpet, and I had to go get a TV like I grew up with. And we're going to start our whole series called the Family Sitcom Series. I, I put it out there on social media for newer people that we're talking about family issues because God's concerned about family. He's concerned about how we handle things and the, the, the aspects of what we are called to do. We're called to raise up our children to be able to go beyond where we're at. We're called to teach them to love God. We're called to do all these wonderful things. But if you ever had kids, there are days you want to cry. There are days you want to go punch a wall and get a hole in there. There are days that you want to just laugh endlessly. And then there's days you just want to go and roll up in your blanket and become a human burrito, as we call it nowadays, and just say, I'm done with world. If you agree with me, just say amen real quick. See, we all agree. Kids are difficult. Families are fun. And it's one of those interesting subjects when we get into it. But for me, I remember growing up in the 80s, I know I'm not as old as some of you, and I know I'm not as young as some of you, but I grew up in the 80s, and I can remember every morning on Saturday morning, I would get up, my parents would stay in their beds, me, my brother, and my sister, we would go grab our bowl of Fruit Loops or Cinnamon Toast Crunch or, or, or Cookie Crisp if we had a special occasion, and we'd put it in our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle bowls with our color-changing spoons, and we'd sit in front of the TV, and we'd turn it on, and we'd start just zoning out into the world, and we started getting involved in, realistically, a whole bunch of different TV shows at the time called Saturday Morning Cartoons. Of course, everything collapses on me. Hold on, technology at its finest. But we would end up watching TV shows like Chippendale Rescue Rangers. We would start watching shows like Thundercats or like G.I. Joe. Who remembers G.I. Joe growing up? What about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? I mean, they were heroes in a half shell, turtle power. They ate pizza all the time. And they talked with weird languages like gnarly bro and all this stuff. So it engaged us as kids. We watched TV shows like Garfield and Friends. What's the next one, Yetta? Or, because I had a sister, I got stuck watching My Little Pony, Princess Ponies and stuff like that. In my house nowadays, I'm stuck, stuck watching My Little Ponies because I have five daughters. That's why I said they stole all my hair. But I also remember growing up, one of the favorite things that we used to do wasn't on Saturday mornings. It was on the Friday nights. 
And there was this thing called TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, or, or thank goodness it's Friday. I think it's what they really meant it to be. But we would watch shows like Family Matters. We would watch shows like Step by Step, Full House, or Boy Meets World, where we were watching stuff that parents could get involved with and kids could get involved with, and they taught lessons that would incorporate throughout the family, whether we realized it or not. Let me tell you right now, I watched the reruns, and I'm learning lessons that I hadn't caught on to yet because they were such valuable things. Back in those days, there was, a, there was a morality that was still being done on TV. And it's something that catches my eyes. And when I was really praying about what to do next, and God says, I want you to do a family sitcom series, we're going to look at some different TV shows, but we're going to incorporate it with Scripture and ask the deep questions, what is it that we are supposed to do of all ages, grandparents, parents, kids, all of us, as we go through this life? And that's my heart, is to see the faith spread through generations. I'm sorry, I'll be honest. If you've been around here long enough, you know that my parents didn't attend church with us when we were kids. I was brought into the church because I got bribed with McDonald's, chicken nuggets, and pizzas back when they sold pizzas to go to church. And it was transformational for me. It's transformational for each and every one of us being able to get into his house and to hear the word and see it fall in love in our hearts to become this thing that beats within our chest to be the difference. But like I said, we struggle. You turn on the TV nowadays, I've watched what my kids watch. They watch shows where parents are not at all in them. It's the kids basically having the Lord of the Fly experiences where they're like, okay, I can do what I want to and learn my mistakes and do all these different things. I can be my own person. If you've looked around at society, that's what they constantly say. You let me be me and let me fall flat on my face. I don't want to hear what you have. But that's not scriptural. That's not biblical. That's not how God designed us to be. He, got, he designed us to be image bearers that pass on the same image over and over again till we see the perfection of His glory shown in heaven. But how do we get there? How do we do that? You see, life is like a sitcom and way too often I find myself just befuddled where I'm at. I'm sure you do too. You're like, how do I help my kids raise their kids? How do I raise my kids to be good human beings? How do I deal with my kids when they're talking back and all I want to do is just send them to Jesus sometimes? Can I just be real? Sorry, young ones. Chips, grandkids, it's nice to see you guys. I'm sure you like in the nice warm weather from South Carolina, right? But anyway, what I want to look at is just some different struggles. Because what we have dealt with as elders, as more uh, seasoned individuals, we have these things that have affected us and changed us, which are called life experiences. You're like, Pastor, what is that supposed to mean? You've had life experience. If you've had a kid, you've had a life experience. 
If you've had your driver's license and you got behind the wheel, praise God, you've had a life experience. Sometimes that might be scarier for your parents than it was for you. Wow, you guys are dry this morning. At least I got a head nod from Brother Jim. I can remember getting my license, and my mom's like, please, just do not wreck the car. And what did I do? I hit that pedal as deep down to the floor as I could go, and I was hitting 120 down the road, and she was like, you're going to die. But it's the life experiences that have changed us. And the bad thing that happens with life experiences is the fact that they could be either good or bad, depending on what you've had. They could either be positive or negative, like friendships. Friendships have the positive life experience aspect to be able to edify you and grow you, but they also have the opportunity for heartbreak and hurt to come through. What about things like bullying in school? You can remember the time where... where, where, where I don't even know. I had a guy named Tommy that was kind of a bully to me at one time. I don't know what yours was, but I can remember he shaped me to be a little bit more bolder sometimes, even though his intention was to belittle me a little bit. You have good and the bad that come through it all. It's like life experiences like vacations and adventures. I can remember going on a vacation. It was the world's worst adventure ever. And I said I'd never do that again. But then there were other vacations I can remember going on where we were on the water the whole time, and it made me enjoy it, and I want to share it with my kids. What about the life adventure of the first job? Where you started it, and you're like, man, I'm flipping burgers. This is horrible. I don't want to do this anymore. Until you get that first paycheck, and you're like, oh, I'm rich. That $100 doesn't go very far as you thought it would. Or better yet, the life adventure of learning what it means to save money, to be able to achieve something, and the hardships that it has to say no. What about heartbreaks? That first love that turned you down. And you didn't realize it, but that was probably the best blessing that could have ever happened before you met your next love giving birth. Man, I can tell you, having five daughters, I can know what it's like having my wife give birth and having that be a different life experience. I can remember the first one. I can remember the second one. Uh, Melissa laughs at me all the time. She's like, what do you like about this about this? And I'm like, this is what I remember. And she's just like, oh. But then I also remember the nights that I didn't sleep and the way that affected me. Or lastly, that I would put out there is home ownership. There's a reason why you have the progressive guy talking about talking like your parents and those aspects because it's a true thing that comes through because life experiences will change us. And they expose us to so many true things. It's these life experiences that have shaped us and make us want to share this knowledge along to our kids. But if you remember what you were like to your parents when they tried to do the same thing, you know that there's a hardship that hits. It's because when we hit a certain age in our, I guess it's starting about seven now, they think they own the world and know the world. They think they have it all put together. But they don't realize that there's something greater that they didn't even calculate in their mind because they're still trying to figure out what two plus two is. And they don't realize that multiplication adds a new dynamic to their life and the equation that God is trying to show them as they walk this journey out. But it's our job to step forward. 
And this week, I, I, I kept going back to, to a story where, where God was trying to teach a lesson to, to his people about waiting. Those words right there are some lessons that I struggle to teach my kids sometimes. I have a kid that goes, Dad, why? Dad, why? Dad, why? Dad, why? And I said, it's just because you've got to wait for a few minutes for you to get what you need. Dad, why can't I have it now? Because you have to wait and save the money. Dad, why do I have to do this? It's because you have to wait to see what God is going to do. It's a struggle that we all encounter in all of our ages, and it's a sitcom when every time that we get a little impatient with it. But inside our text this morning, out of Genesis chapter 22, we find that Abraham was going up in his obedience to, his, to God and, and was willing to do the, the unthinkable. But at the same time, there was a lesson being taught to his son. And if you have it, it's in Genesis chapter 22, verses 6 through 8, yet if you'll pull it up. And it says, And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand, the fire, and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Father, or my father. He says, I am here, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they both went up together. You see, Abraham knew that God had already was testing him. And he was going to do some miraculous thing at something is what he had in his mind. When he got told to give up his only promised son that, that was going to get the inheritance. And as he's walking up, and, and, and I'm sure Isaac's going, Dad, what is going on? Why am I having to come with you, Dad? Dad, where is this? Dad, what is going on? How can I get through this? And the only words that, I, that Abraham can say to him is, I have no answers. But watch and see what God will do. There's some people in this church, they might be younger, but there's some people in this church that might be older that need to hear the truth that comes through it. That sometimes life lessons come through waiting. Life lessons come through, through times where we have to encounter things and deal with the struggles and the hardships that go through it. Life lessons have to come through hearing and trusting. You see, in, in Judges chapter 14, we find that Samson, the man with the long flowing locks that couldn't get cut off or he'd lose his strength. He didn't like waiting. In it, we find that, 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 that in it, we find where he talks about how Samson went up to Timnah, and, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he said, oh, mama, she's hot. I need that right here, right now. I want her to be my wife. So he goes up to his mom and he says, Hey, mom, dad, I saw the daughters of the Philistine in Timnah. And, and he said, I want her for my wife. And his dad's like, Hey, I want to impart some spiritual wisdom on you, son. And he said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go and take a wife of an uncircumcised Philistine? 
that there's struggle that's going to happen because your eyes are getting ahead of it and you're not willing to wait for the promise. But Samson's response was even greater than some of ours, where he says, but, but Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my own eyes. You see, we struggle to teach the next generation what it means to trust and wait on the Lord. We struggle to teach young people sometimes, and I truly think this is, that's what we got to get back to is the heart of teaching them. It's time to get up and trust God with everything you have and to listen to reason. But we got teenagers in this house that don't want to listen to reason, let alone some young adults nowadays that don't want to listen to reason, let alone some grandparents that don't want to listen to reason. Let me tell you right now, we have to get beyond ourselves and truly get back to being the church that says, this is the truth, the way, and the life that it's pointing to Jesus. And if I can follow this, I'll find Jesus. And if I find Jesus, he's going to make it all right. But we don't wait. We get discouraged. It's even more prevalent in... The saddest I could say, the millennial generation when they came up. I do not claim millennial generation. I'm an exennial. I'm depressed like the rest of the Gen Xers, and I'm more of a technology savvy like the millennials, so I'm an exennial. I'm depressed on technology. No. But I kind of find it funny. We live in a have-now, right-now time. I asked my wife a question. She says, I don't know. Let me Google it. I'm like, honey, I don't want you to Google it. I'm just trying to have a conversation and process this through my mind. And I'm willing to wait till I get home. No, I've got it. It's got my phone. It's like, okay, babe. This is true. And I'm looking at the generation we live in now. They got cell phones. They got text messages. Lord knows, me and my wife have a debate. When somebody texts me, do I have to instantly answer them? Her answer is yes. My answer is I'll get to them when I get to them. See, I got one amen. So if you ever want to know why I don't get back to you right then and there, it's because not always am I on my phone. I live and breathe in the world. I, I, that's why I say I'm an exennial, Brother Jim. I, I, I'm an answering machine generation kind of guy. If you don't know what that is, Go to the museum, you'll find one. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get at is we live in an always-on, always-instant time. That's why we have instant ramen. That's why we have McDonald's. That's why we have KFC. That's why on every street corner you can find, I'm sure, a, a quick stop or, 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 or a, uh, what is it, a fast food restaurant. That's why you can go and get your microwave dinners real quick right now. We've got a whole generation that have not known what it means to wait and to listen. And I truly believe that's a struggle that we keep going back to. And for some reason, I don't know what it is. This video came up on my, my, my newsreel one day, and I was like, okay, this is the lesson that we need to hear in the church now. And if, you, if you've ever watched a black and white TV show... I'm sure you probably have heard of the Andy Griffith show. Took place in Mayberry, North Carolina, to a widowed father raising his son. He's a cop, he's a sheriff. 
He's got a deputy named Barney Fife, who's a wacky little guy. But they always had stories and lessons that hit up. And if you'll just, just listen to the video for a second. Well, Sheriff, uh, it's an honor. Where's Opie? He's in school. Drag up someone and sit down. I'm making a new fish lure. I gave the other one I had to open. Yeah, he showed it to me when he told me about the chicken dinner. Well, that, uh, yeah, too bad about that poor bird. Run down the middle of the road by a new sports car. <laughs> I tried to get the license number, but uh, you understand all that dust and everything. What run over the pie? I was uh, the pie. Well, that's not why I'm here. Good. It's about Opie. Something wrong? Yeah, there's something wrong. You ate too much? No, it goes a little deeper than that. Well, uh, what is it? You know, I've grown awful fond of that young fellow. What's wrong? Well, there seems to be something wrong with his thinking. He's gotten a little twisted on things lately. Like being able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Oh. Not that that's an easy thing. A lot of grown-ups still struggling with that same problem. But it's especially difficult for a youngster. Because things rub off on them so easy. I see. You're suggesting that maybe I'm not fit company for Opie? That would seem to be the case. Well, Sheriff, maybe I do look at things differently than other people. Is that wrong? I live by my wits. I'm not above bending the law now and then to keep clothes on my back or food in my stomach. I live the kind of life that other people would just love to live if they only had the courage. Who's to say that the boy would be happier your way or mine? Why not let him decide? No, I'm afraid it don't work that way. You can't let a young'un decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. The wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. All a parent can do is say, wait, trust me, and try to keep temptation away. That means that you're inviting me to leave. That's right. Well, you're wearing a badge, so I'll leave. That wasn't so difficult. Your problem solved. That's where you're wrong. That boy thinks just about everything you do is perfect. So my problem's just beginning. You've left behind an awful lot of unscrambling to be done. I look here. Goodbye, Mr. Dave. I don't know about you, but I saw that, and it had me a little remiss to the times that we're in. We got a generation that's coming up that struggles to wait. They struggle to reason. They struggle to know what's good and right. Because they look at the instant gratifications that are found in all of our society nowadays. Social media hits us. The billboards hit us. The advertisements hit us. And all these different things. But it's our job to be the examples. It's our job to set forth the precedence of, of what God's standard is for the young people. And, and a lot of us have lost heart because we've gotten so afraid of offense. Because we've gotten so afraid of being a little bit stern. 
that we, that, we, that we let the next generation walk all over top of us. I look at a society today and I find that, that family is not looking like family any longer. It's more looking more like just a, a, an all-out, just messy sitcom. But God is trying to tell us it's time to get the family unit to fall back in line. To start setting the examples forth. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands because they're supposed to be the head. Husbands do, or fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Kids, honor your father and your mother and you'll have a long life. Those examples found in Ephesians 5 are the truths and the inherent natures that we have to have. But how do we get there? How do we show the next generation? How do we fix the dysfunction in our current generation? Honestly, it's through the self-evaluations of ourselves and be the examples that are set forth. See, what I found when I was looking at the Andy Griffith show was he was watching his son. And he says, I see some errors that are coming in. I'm dealing with the errors, but i got to get through something to take away the, the corruption that's coming through. Sometimes that comes through removal of friends. I know those are words people don't want to hear. We might have people in our lives that cause corruption that we have to walk away from for a season. Sometimes that might become for a lifetime. But nonetheless, if it's something that God is saying needs to be removed to get the right spirit back in you, you need to get back on track. Because what we have right now and what we've had for generations is a lot of people looking for the shiny things or the dollar bills about trying to get the best of this world. But we've lost heart in the focus that it's not about this world. It's about the one to come. It's about the eternity that's set before us that's not stopping, that we're already on the path to go towards, that we really have to look towards. And if we're not willing to do it, then what are we going to do? The Word says we're going to have the rest of our time separated from our Heavenly Father, never hearing His voice. Never hearing the good things. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to preach something evil. I'm not trying to preach something wrong. I'm just trying to teach you something truth. Because we have a whole generation that have been walking according to the flesh. And it's time for us to realize that this flesh will always lead us to corruption and damnation. It's time for us to awaken to the truth that this flesh always wants the shiny things. But too often, the Spirit wants to go for the sub, uh, sub, uh, subtle things. The things that don't seem valuable, but have more effect on our lives than we'd ever have. I can recall a time growing up where I looked at my grandparents and said, I want a Typhoon 2 hovercraft RC thing. And they said, okay, we'll give you a bicycle helmet. I cried and cried and cried until they got what I wanted. I wanted this shiny toy because it was awesome. I was like, it's going to go over water. It's going to do all these wonderful things. Let me tell you, the second the battery died over the water, it sank down and the electronics got fried. And I couldn't do it anymore. And then a couple weeks later, I fell off my bike and hit my head and I had a big knot on my head. I'm like, the bicycle probably would have done a whole lot better now. But see, what I'm trying to get at is sometimes our lives are more focused on the things that we want to impress the people next to us, and our kids are doing the same thing. And the kids after them are going to do the same thing. That's why when my wife was going to a school conference where this one girl was like, I got my cell phone. She looked at her mama and she says, Mama, you're not touching my cell phone. She said, Darling, 
I wouldn't touch your phone. I respect your privacy. My wife looked at her and said, what in the word are you teaching your kid? See, that's the stuff we struggle with every single day as Christian parents, as Christian examples. We're going up against a world that says, these kids, here you go, ready-made, you're good. No, I, what I remember when I got my kids for the first time, I said, where's the instruction manual? And they said, I don't got one. I said, how am I supposed to do it? And they said, well, I don't know. Then I finally got to the church, and I said, do you know if there's an instruction manual on how to raise my kids? They said, yeah, it's the Holy Bible. I said, what? And they said, yeah, you don't realize it. It's got all these wonderful things about how you're supposed to raise your kids up. It's got Proverbs to teach them. It's got Psalms to sing them. It's got all these wonderful things that you can incorporate in your life to put in your kids, and it'll make them better for it. But we have a world today that doesn't even understand what the Bible is. They don't even know how to open it. They don't even know. If you tell them, go to the book of John, they're like, uh, where is that at? Is that, is that like John Thomas down the road? Or, 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 or you're like, what are you doing? You see, what I'm trying to get at is, we have a society that wants to chase the shiny things because they're fleshly. It's time for the church to start stepping forth and setting forth the example of looking for the spiritual. In my house, we want to do the spiritual things. And in your house, you should desire to do the same thing. Let's see what happens when you start opening the Bible around your kid. And see what happens when you start having a dialogue with your spouse about what you're reading in the Scripture. Let's see what happens when you start talking to the next generation, even if it's your grandkids, about the, the, what you're reading in the Bible, and let them ask questions. Let me tell you right now, the examples that are set before us are ones that are subtle. They're the things that need to be set forth so that people would not expect the growth to come through, but they're the seeds that are planted. Andy Griffith looked at that hobo sitting on the side of town, just getting whatever he could, bending the law, as he called it, doing what was right in his own eyes. Let me tell you, right in your own eyes is always going to lead you to the wrong places. It was right in my own eyes to go and, and, and be with that woman, even though she's not my wife. It was wrong in my own eyes too, because I saw that money in that register and it just looked good to me. You see, those are the thoughts that lead us to destruction. Those are the thoughts that lead our next generation astray. Oh, it was right in my own eyes because if I make more money, I can provide for my family, but I'm neglecting them all the time. You see, that's the struggle that we get into. But the Bible tells us to raise up the next generation. Show them in loving natures. There's examples of fathers constantly throughout this and mothers throughout this who sought to make their kids better than they were. And that's what we should do. Not teaching them the things of the flesh. Galatians 5 and 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensual, uh, sensual idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You see, there's a thought of stuff that this flesh wants. But everything that I've ever studied in the Word says this flesh wants to walk completely contrary to what God wants. 
It wants the shiny stuff, and it's easily gravitated to it. And the next generation wants to go into it. And, and that's the struggle. Because the things of the Spirit that we're supposed to impart on the next generation take time. You're like, what? It takes time for the Spirit to grow within you. I've heard it taught once way more times than I want to have. And one of my cousins at my old church, she taught the pastor this thought process too. She says, you have one option. And one option only. You can either feed the spirit man or the flesh man. Whichever one you feed will grow. Whichever one you don't dies. And that's a truth that we have to hold on to. Because we've been feeding the wrong man for the long time. It's time for the church to wake up and realize. It's time to start planting seeds as we speed, or feed the spirit man. Which Galatians 5.22 tells us is the fruit of the spirit. And if you know anything about fruit, fruit takes time to grow. It takes time for the seed to get planted. It takes time for it to water. It takes time for it to mature into a tree. To eventually be able to produce more fruit. Let me tell you, I can tell, uh, remember a time when I first accepted Christ in my life and there were still words coming out of my mouth that I would never say now. There were times in my life where anger would kick up because I wasn't right there where I had the ability to control it. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to struggle as you're accepting God and you're allowing these seeds to grow that it might not look like something's changing within you, but it's subtle. It takes time. It takes the waiting. It takes the process. That's why when Andy Griffith looked at that hobo and he says, you don't realize it. What you think I'm doing right now is an instant fix. It's not an instant fix. It takes time. And if we would have let the time go through, we'll see the difference come through it. I'm sure my grandparents, when they were taking me to church, they were like, oh Lord, just save him right now so we can get him to heaven and let him go and, and, and let him be the difference. And then, I, and then I shocked them when I would go through and say, Grandma and Grandpa, I want this CD. And they're like, that's got a parental guidance warning on it. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm sure God, touch him, touch him. And it wasn't until they realized that I was stepping in the ministry that they saw a difference. When they saw the fruition of what God was subtly growing within me that showed them the truth of what's going on. But they were all along praying the prayer. God, show him what's right and what's wrong. You see, I hold on to the truth of what Hebrews 12, 6 says. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. See, there's a difference. The world does not want to be condemned. They don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be rebuffed. They don't want to be shifted into the thought that they're not right. Because they're not willing to receive the love of a father. You don't realize that dads and moms, love goes through correction. Young ones, when your mom corrects you, it's not something done in anger. It's something to fix an error that's going on. I can remember back in the day, if you don't know me, I like computers. I learned a computer program. There was a lot of times I would be writing code out. I'd get one error, one letter wrong, and a whole string of code because I didn't type it just right. 
and then I'd have to spend hours and hours digging through it to try to fix the correction. That's the same thing that we're doing as parents. We poured so much into their lives, but we have to fix the small little things before they become catastrophic, where they go out into the world and they dysfunction. They don't work properly. You see, it's not a journey that's easy. And I'm not trying to tell you it's easy. A lot of parents take the extremes, go completely like belligerent, or they go non-existent. But it's time for a balance to come through where we start seeing the next generation changing. It's time for us to start looking into the heart of it. And truly teaching our kids to do what Proverbs 3 and 5 through 8 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be a healing of your flesh and a refreshing of your bones. You see, church, what we have to get back to is the understanding that it might look like a sitcom sometimes. It might look like a bad joke hitting left and right as you're trying to raise up the next generation, as you're trying to help your your kids raise up the next generation, as you're trying to fix your own dysfunction and your own marriage issues. But it's time for you to take heart and let God lead you. If you'll stand with me this morning. It's time for him to lead. It's time for him to show. It's time for truth to start ruling in your life, which the only truth is through his word. This is the ultimate authority that we have as we read it, as it starts changing us. It's the relationship that builds within us because this is God's spoken word written through his, his, his chosen individuals as he spoke it. He's meant to teach you, to inspire you, to grow you, to make you better. But it looks like a sitcom sometimes. Don't believe me. Open it up and start reading about the dysfunction of David. Read about the dysfunction of Solomon. Read about all the dysfunction that goes through that you could almost laugh at some of it. And some of it you'll cry. But it shows you the true nature of what humanity looks like and how we get through it. But it's our job right here, right now to decide. Am I going to be like the rest of the world where that says, I'll make it up my own way? Or are we going to start teaching ourselves and the ones around us that the Father knows better? That he loves you so much that he wants to show you the correct ways to go. I don't know who that's for this morning, but it's time to let him lead you beside the still waters when you're dry. To let you lap up and get you refreshing like you need to. It's also time to let him bring in the correction and receive it wholeheartedly whenever he tells you this is wrong. And you work through the process of bringing the correction in. It's the Father's love that matters. Andy Griffith displayed that wholeheartedly to his son Opie all the way through that series. He wanted to see his son better than he was and everybody else around him. So I want to challenge everyone this morning. Is that you? Do you want to be better so that the ones around you will be better? 
Do you want the Father to correct you so you'll be better? Do you want to see a world set apart that's going to start pursuing after God because it starts with us? It starts with us saying, Lord, I, I, I got to do it. I step up. I'm recalling the time when Isaiah was having a dream where he says, who shall we send? And Isaiah is like, I don't know, but I'm a mess. But Lord, send me, send me. That's what we have to have in each, every one of us. Send me, Lord. So every head bowed real quick this morning. Father God, Lord, I pray, Lord, right now that you just touch each and every heart that's in this room. Move upon them, Lord. Holy Spirit, go down and convict them, Lord, right now. And just touch them, Lord, and start letting them hear your voice once again if they've not heard it in forever. And let it be the thing that directs their steps. Let your voice be the one that's dedicating their lives even greater to you, Lord. Chastising the ones you love and showing them the proper way. And letting them become the examples of those that you've given them influence over, Lord. Whether that's their kids, their grandkids, their cousins, their nephews, whatever it is that's around them, Lord. Touch them. Strengthen them, Lord, right now. And set a resolve that will not be erased, Lord, in their minds. That will never be gone. That will, they will say, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to run the race that you called me to run. Touch us, Lord, in this place, Lord. Be with us, God. And touch this church. And the church said, Church, I love you all. If you're new, nice to meet you. I'll meet you out in the lobby. But we look forward to connecting with you. Next week, I want to remind everybody that we have our family service. Where all the teenagers will be in here leading in worship. The whole entire family will be here. So if you want to bring your kids, grandkids, whatever, bring them. But we're looking forward to a time where we hear a truth that goes through it, but more importantly, where we represent what he wants to see us done. So that being said, go and love your neighbor as yourself, as you love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and we'll see you guys next